Mindfulness Mode, Episode 12. It all begins and ends with the breath. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Today, I'm talking with the amazing relationship coach, Louise Congdon. But first, I want to thank you for listening and all your support of Mindfulness Mode. Mindful Tribe, you've been amazing. And for that, I have a free bonus I want to give to you at the end of today's episode. I think you'll find it really valuable. Don't forget to get your free gift. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Luis Congdon on the line today. Hey, Luis, are you in mindfulness mode? I am so relaxed and ready. Ah, you sound relaxed. Luis Congdon is passionate about helping others, whether in relationships or with online businesses. Saying he had a challenging youth is an understatement. His mother was a cocaine addict and was murdered when Luis was five. Homeless for three years, Luis was finally adopted by an American family who unfortunately divorced a short time later, leaving Luis frustrated and confused. All this hardship gave Luis a deep desire to understand love, healthy relationships, and the concept of mindfulness. Luis, with all these challenges, when did you start the practice of mindfulness? Tell Mindful Tribe, when was mindfulness something you were aware of? You know, this is a really fantastic question. And uh, I was brought up in a home when I came to the United States. Like, yes, it was unfortunate when they divorced, but they're an incredible, the deepest love and wisdom that I can imagine any human could ever receive. My mom was a very spiritual person and always talked to me about mindfulness. So I guess it was always being ingrained in me. I guess mindfulness kind of began with my martial arts practice and then yoga practice when I was in eighth grade. Uh, So I was uh, 14 years old at the time when I first started some sort of mindfulness practice. During a yoga session, I actually had a, I think it's called a Shakti experience uh, because I remember laying down in that last pose of my yoga practice and I just felt this deep echo, like a laughter surging through my whole body and just this tingling sensation and this feeling that all there was in the whole world was, was happiness and love. And I remember walking away from that session thinking like, what, what what was that? You know, I didn't have any words for it. I didn't have anyone to really talk to about it. I really wasn't sure what it was, but I knew that it was one of the highest levels of elation that I had ever experienced. Incredible. And it's incredible that you remember it so vividly. And that was eighth grade. I mean, that's that's the age of my own son. Well, he's in ninth grade, but I, I just parallel it thinking of my son going through an experience like that. And so you had that experience. And then did you make the decision from that day on that you wanted more of it? Is that how that worked? No, I I really didn't know what I had experienced. It felt quite wonderful and blissful. I enjoyed yoga, continued to do it, but never to seek that experience, really. I just felt, um, you know, I was young. I it, It wasn't like a you get that kind of high and you keep looking for it. It was just, that's amazing. Uh, And that was it. End of story. In college, when I was maybe 23 years old, I remember being in my room, uh, in my dorm room, Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a private room. So it was just me. And I remember shutting off the lights in my room and leaving a single light on in the kitchen. 
and uh, thinking, I'm going to sit down on that big, comfy, lazy boy chair and I'm going to experience what the Buddha experienced. Uh, and, and I didn't really know what I was thinking about. I just remember thinking that thought and had no idea what, what that really meant. Um, because I, you know, you hear about the Buddha, like you can grow up in almost any culture and you're going to hear about it. But, uh, I had no idea really what that meant. I had no background, uh, studies in that. So I sat down, crossed my leg, closed my eyes. And I honestly have no idea for how long I was gone, Bruce. Um, I felt that, uh, whoever this me, um, you know, this ego identity that has a me and identifies itself with, with a someone or a something, a uh, sense of, you know, locality. Uh, individualism completely disappeared and you know my the state of consciousness which is me kind of merged with something really wonderful uh, and so I have no idea how long I was gone for it could have been five minutes could have been an hour it really felt like it was quite a long time I remember opening my eyes and the sense of me came back and I just my body felt quite blissful um, I felt very again very elated and felt that I was just in a magical universe. And then I remember looking around my room and I walked over to the kitchen where just the single little light was on over the, over the stove. And I actually saw what appeared to me like molecules moving, looking at the little teapot. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys were expecting this kind of story, but this is, this was my experience. Uh, and then I walked outside of my dorm room and I looked up at the light in the hallway and I saw this pink bright, bright pink ultraviolet ray coming out of the light source. And as it moved really farther away from the light source, it diminished until it became balls of uh, ultraviolet uh, balls of pinkness uh, bouncing around. And with every bounce, they got smaller and smaller, diminishing into the distance or into the shadows. Uh, From there for a period of about two months, um, I felt completely in love with the whole world. Um, animals were, I'd never experienced this before, but animals, wild animals, you know, like little squirrels and Mm -hmm. city animals would let me walk right next to them, uh, crows and dogs. And I remember, um, sitting next to people and noticing that they had this kind of magnetism towards me. They were just gravitated. Um, and, and I just felt completely in love with everyone and felt my realization in that moment was that every single person living on the planet is enlightened uh, and there is nothing wrong with anyone. Um, and there's some sort of veil that um, most of us live in thinking that there's something we need to change or be uh, when in fact we are just pure conduits of love and we are uh, what we are seeking is what we are. Um, um, and I just felt that people were what they were seeking. So I, I loved them. Uh, and then I started having experiences where I could hear people's thoughts, feel their emotions, uh, eventually leading me to kind of a, a sense of um, a little bit of chaos because I didn't know uh, how to how to roam in that world. Incredible, incredible. And, you know, I firmly believe that experiences like that come from our past and our our past life, our past experiences. I was wondering, Luis, if you could take us back to life as a homeless child in Colombia. Can you paint a picture for us here at Mindful Tribe of a day in your life and how you coped with that life back then? You know, it's interesting to be asked about that life as an adult because uh, a certain sadness kind of comes up, but a certain kind of um, deep love for for that child that I was or... Um, 
you know, but when, when I, when I bring myself into the body of that child, I know I was a happy little kid, you know, um, I didn't understand that homeless was something, uh, that was not good or was abnormal. I just understood it as, um, isn't everybody like this or, you know, this is the way I live. And there was no larger perspective on the world. Um, you know, uh, (laughs) the world that I had was the world that is without comparison. Uh, you know, that life, uh, was, you know, from an adult perspective, really hard. Uh, my mom would leave the house uh, all day long. So we did have a, a small little apartment uh, before my mom uh, was murdered. Uh, and she would leave all day long, go score drugs, come home, do drugs and, uh, you know, have random sex with different people, uh, do drugs and, and then basically just wake up the next day and do it all over again right. um, and beat me if I did something wrong. Uh, then she died when I was five and I was left to a homeless uncle, uh, kind of the only person that took, took it upon themselves to take care of me but he had no money, no bank account, no wife, um, just little ties, you know, as far as kind of having a grounding to the world, uh, as far as a home and certain levels of safety and security. And we just wandered around the city a lot. He did have numerous friends that allowed him to stay at their house for, you know, here for a day or two. Uh, he exchanged work for a roof and food. So, um, you know, in Colombia, a lot of people have live-in maids. So he would become a live-in maid for people with a child uh, and in in exchange for his services, you know, he'd get paid a little bit, but primarily it was food uh, and shelter that we had. Uh, 1980s, Colombia was going through a very tumultuous time with the height of the cocaine cartel and just deep levels of violence that just kind of filled the whole city. Uh, so poverty was also at a record high. So a lot of people could not afford to have a living made for very long. Uh, so we moved around a, uh, a lot. Uh, until I ended up getting, you know, being put in an orphanage, which my uncle actually didn't put me in an orphanage. It's kind of a, that's a whole nother story of, Mm. uh, you know, people that don't really know what they're doing and a lot of confusion between adults and a child kind of caught in the middle. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, I remember when I spent time in Mexico with teenagers building building homes for the underprivileged, you know, we met a lot of children and it really did feel like they were totally happy and totally relaxed and, you know, they just wanted to play and learn. And so you're painting that same kind of picture that it really, uh, it's really cool. It's really an awesome experience to meet children in other cultures like that. I'd like to uh, ask you about the day you found out, Luis, that you were adopted by an American family. Can you share that memory with Mindful Tribe about how you felt? Yeah, you know, again, it's just back to being a kid and not really knowing any mm-hmm. kind of sense of comparison. Uh, I lived in an orphanage where people got to choose uh, the family that they wanted to go to. So a family would so- solicit, you know, not a particular child, but just wanting to adopt a child. Uh, you know, it depends on the family. Some families said, you know, we want this type of kid, this age or whatever. My family just said, give us an older kid. We don't care if it's a boy or a girl. We we really just want to adopt a kid who needs parents and, and we want to be parents. Uh, so that was one of the families, the particular family in the United States that adopted me. Um, and then I had another family that lived in uh, France, that wanted to adopt me and they and I, and I wanted to go to France. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the kids in the orphanage that I stayed at, many of the kids went to France. I wanted to be where most of the kids would be going, but unfortunately for them they had a 
a girl, so mm-hmm. I would have a sister. Uh, and I already had a sister as a little kid, so mm-hmm. I kind of felt like it'd be betrayal for me to choose a family where yeah. I'd get a sister. But I was still kind of curious, you know, like, okay, well, maybe I can do this and it wouldn't be b- such a bad thing. And I'm seven years old at the time thinking about my new family. <laughs> and then this kid one night, friend of mine, comes over to my bed, you know, when we're supposed to be asleep and says, you know that Superman lives in the United States. And oh boy, that triggered my mind. I started seeing this guy flying around, me getting to shake his hand and meeting him. And I woke up the next morning and went to the person that, you know, I'm supposed to make the choice with. And I said, I want to go to the United States. <laughs> wow. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and being adopted was, a, you know, quite an incredible experience coming to, you know, a new home, meeting new people. I had no idea what the United States was. I, I honestly didn't know how to look at a map and understand it. So, you know, when we got on an airplane, it moved maybe 20, 30 feet. And I, I thought maybe we were there, you know, sure. like that's <laughs> like getting in a taxi. I thought right. you know, America could be just right around the corner. Plane takes off. I look down. A few minutes later, I point down and I go, estamos en America? Uh, which means, are we in the United States? Right. And, and my dad says, no, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. So maybe 10 minutes later, I look down and I point, and, you know, 10 minutes for a kid's eternity. Uh, and right. then I say, uh, again, estamos en America? And my dad's like, no, no, just uh, a little bit longer, quite a bit longer. I'll tell you when we're there. Uh, and a long journey uh, later, you know, I'm in Washington in 1991 uh, when there isn't a lot of Latinos here. So, um, right. you know, I I really didn't have any Spanish-speaking friends for almost my first year of being here in the in the United States. Mm. Right. Okay. So, so then you mentioned about your your mother sharing with you some ideas about mindfulness and so on. Did you also experience that from your father too? He, you know, my dad more than anything lives a life of mindfulness, uh-huh. but he he's not a guy who's ever, you know, picked up a book by Dr. Wayne Dyer mm-hmm. or um, really, you know, gone into the spirituality bookshops and delved into new age spirituality or um, any kind of form of spirituality. Uh, my dad's not the kind of person to really study it, mm-hmm. um, but he just has some of the greatest moral and spiritual grounding I've ever met in anybody. And, uh, you know, oftentimes reminds me of a quote in the Bible that basically says, you know, um, something around, something that says basically, you know, show me a man of faith and I will show you a man who lives by his actions. Right. Um, you know, and, and my dad's actions and the way that he treats people have the strongest moral and spiritual grounding that I've ever seen in a human being. Mm. Um, you know, other than mating Desmond Tutu at one time, uh, my dad basically, you know, for me is uh, what I aspire to be spiritually and just as a human being. Um, right. But uh, he never, he never said, you know, meditate or, you know, imagine a cord going to the ground or, you know, have a Kundalini experience. He never used any kind of that language. He just, you know, said hi, gave me hugs and cared about me. <laughs> wow. So you moved in with your family. You had this tremendous feeling of belonging and they were amazing people. And then it just sounds like such a beautiful ending. And then I find out your adoptive parents split. And how did that affect you? And, and what did you do to deal with that? You know, I didn't originally feel a sense of belonging with most people in my family. 
I actually felt like as a kid, I worried. I, I had a lot of nightmares when I first came to the U.S. I wasn't used to sleeping in a room by myself. Right. Uh, I wasn't used to being in a culture where nobody really spoke my language. Uh, my adopted parents spoke a little bit of Spanish, but not enough to really fully communicate with me. Sure. Um, so a lot of it was just, you know, two people kind of figuring out how to how to communicate and uh, one child that, you know, knows how to connect with men, but doesn't really know how to connect with women. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I struggled to connect with my mom and and I didn't trust her presence completely as a child. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. She was incredibly loving and uh, very lucky and has instilled in me some of the best values as far as, uh, you know, trusting intuition, being intuition, being sensitive, loving people. Uh, My mom's, you know, just like a sage uh, and all those levels Um, But I just didn't trust women at that time. I'd really only been raised by a man and the woman that raised me was incredibly abusive. So, and and I worried a lot about abandonment. You know, I didn't Uh put those labels on it as a child, but I, you know, recall having a dream where my adopted parents returned me to the orphanage because I I wasn't the right kid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember finding a big Smokey the Bear stuffed animal that my dad had as a child in a closet. Mm-hmm. And, and being kind of afraid at first because he had this rubber head. Mm-hmm. And then my dad took him down and, 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 and showed him to me. And me and Smokey the Bear became best friends. I dressed him up. I uh-huh. walked around with him everywhere. Um, I put him in bed and cuddled him and I stopped having nightmares. Uh, I asked my dad to build him a little bed so that you know he could have his own bed next to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember the first night tucking him in and then getting in my bed uh-huh. and, and grabbing him because I started getting scared. Wow. Um, yeah, so you know when my when my parents divorced, I don't know if I really knew what was going on. Um, at that time, I was more angry because I finally clicked in my head that it was unfortunate that my mother was murdered and that I came from a different country mm-hmm. and that I wasn't sure if I'd ever see my family again. And um, there was a lot of kind of chaos happening in that in my whole house in regards to my parents being divorced. Uh, some of my other family f- members kind of be, uh, potentially divorcing and moving out of the home that we had all built. Uh, but I was just primarily angry because I just didn't understand where my place in the world was. Right. Well, that anger is certainly understandable. So then you moved forward. And I'm, I'm wondering, when did you realize that you wanted to become an expert at love and relationships and to help people with, with that? When did that come to you? You know, in my early teenage years, I didn't understand the feelings of lust um, and and the desire to want to date or uh, be held or or have a loving relationship with a with a woman. I felt um, honestly terrified at the idea. It scared me, and I felt inadequate because some of the people around me, you know, were kissing girls and going on dates with them, and and I just felt nervous and and untrusting of the whole experience and felt that um, it could cause great suffering for two people to, you know, date and and then uh, hurt each other, which, you know, was what I saw sure. uh, and then I experienced. And I came to the conclusion that uh, relationships hurt. Intimate relationships are painful. Living is painful. Human life uh, is primarily based in suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really devoted myself to try to become a monk uh, and did a lot of community service orientated stuff. When I went to college, I went to a Jesuit school studying Catholicism. 
and I spent all my holidays pretty much uh, going and doing community service. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, spring break, I was gone for a week building a house for Habitat for Humanity. Right. Uh, you know, Christmas break, I was spending the night in, in shelters and helping homeless people be fed or wrap presents for people. So I was really devoted and committed to this idea that the way out of suffering was uh, through a life of service and through a life that would ultimately lead me to a pathway of becoming a monk. Uh, and I pursued various paths. You know, I, I liked the Jesuit path. I had a meditation experience, which I spoke about earlier, which led me to feel that uh, Catholicism was missing something, that there was this uh, great beauty in life that wasn't addressed in Catholicism and that uh, we weren't sinners, that we we're actually something incredibly beautiful and connected to this uh, divinity mm-hmm. uh, and that we could all tap into it. So uh, I actually went and spoke to one of the Jesuit priests. I, I told him about it and he said, well, it sounds like Catholicism might not be your pathway, uh-huh. uh, but you need a you need a spiritual community, Luis, is very important. Um, you know, you will, you will need that community to understand what you're going through and your life of service is very important to you. Um, around that time when I was starting to kind of experience a sense of chaos with all the senses of, uh, you know, feeling people's feelings and coming home and crying and, and realizing I felt someone's pain so deeply that it actually absorbed into me or, um, you know, I could hear people calling me before they called me on the phone and, and it just, it was a little much for me. Um, and my mom called me one day and said, you know, there's a Buddhist monk in the Czech Republic. He's worked closely with the Dalai Lama in different points. And, um, I know a friend who says that she could make the connection and you could go stay with him. So I decided to fly to the Czech Republic as part of my, um, summer studies. I was actually going to go to France and Ireland to study there as well. So I added the Czech Republic to it uh, in the hopes of finding my, basically my guru, you know, a teacher that Mm -hmm. I could follow and would help me uh, use my experiences to help others uh, and to make sure that I wouldn't create more suffering for others. Um, And and I guess that's when the, the, the path really took off because I stayed with the Buddhist monk, something was missing. I went and stayed in a yogic ashram, something was missing. I met an incredible woman who completely knocked me off my feet and I realized what was missing was human touch, human mm-hmm. sentiment, human connection. And I came to the conclusion that my spiritual path involves a connection, an intimate connection with a lover, a significant other who uh, could teach me how to live in the world without feeling that um, human connection is also uh, full of suffering. That for me, that was a missing element to my own spiritual involvement. Uh, She broke my heart. The relationship ended very quickly. And I went back to the drawing board and I said, God, you know, this uh, experience with this amazing individual shows me that I want to fall in love and and I don't want to experience another failed relationship. Please teach me how to understand love and lasting love so I can have it in my life uh, and, and, you know, ultimately bless myself and the world with it um, and cure myself of my own pains. Uh, And um, I got this intuitive hit that I was going to go work in the field of psychology. I went into my job and told my boss that I needed to leave at the end of the month. She said, why? And I said, I'm getting a job in the world of psychology. She said, oh, cool. Where's your job? And I said, I don't know, but I needed to let you know that I'm leaving um, because the job is coming and uh, I don't want to leave you guys dry. Right. Uh, two months later, I got hired as um, a marriage education 
uh, relationship coach for the largest research project uh, down in the United States, working and helping married couples with children improve their intimate lives. Oh, incredible. Oh, incredible. Let's jump to the present now, Luis. I'm wondering how you use mindfulness in your personal life. How do you use mindfulness on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a really fantastic question. And it really reminds me that I could be a little bit more influenced by my partner, Kamala, who is better at mindfulness than me. Uh, She reminds me to eat organic food, to spend more time in nature, to spend more time hugging um, her, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which she likes, just spending more time slowing down uh, for the past especially four or five months, I've been running at about 100 miles per hour. Mm. And the main thing that mindfulness has really equipped me with uh, in the last couple months where I've not been sleeping very much, I've been running my business partially like it's a nonprofit and uh, like it's a for-profit and um, just doing everything possible to make a highly, highly successful and profitable business. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, you know, my mind is constantly awake thinking of ideas so that I can help more people, I can grow a business and and I can create something that's really sustainable. But I can tell you, you know, last night I probably didn't go to bed until about two in the morning. I slept mm-hmm. for maybe two or three hours, woke up, worked for an hour or two, went back to sleep and I'm back at it again. And you know, the only thing that I understand as to why I feel completely great and actually fantastic with such low levels of sleep is that I believe that inspiration, that human beings ultimately don't need a lot of sleep when we're running off of high levels of love and inspiration. Uh, and that's where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do need to create some balance. So this weekend, uh, you know, we're going to take off to the San Juan Island. Uh, and I'm going to spend time, you know, unplugging from the internet and being in a place that has no Wi-Fi service, no cell phone service. Uh, and you know, my choices are lay around, walk in nature, go watch whales, um, or just stay inside in a in an earthen home that is made out of completely like you know earth earth based uh, uh, materials. So. Right. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that does. That does. I hope you have an awesome weekend. Fantastic time just being relaxed and mindful and enjoying each other. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm interested in your career as a relationship coach. Tell us about the most challenging client you've worked with and how maybe they came full circle to experience a meaningful relationship as a result of your coaching, Luis. I've had so many wonderful experiences working Mm -hmm. with couples. It is one of the greatest honors that I have in relationship coaching. When I'm seeing a couple of any orientation, what, what my greatest honor is that I get to see two people work on themselves and work with each other uh, to become more loving individuals to become more tenderhearted uh, and to remember that is the basis of everything that they're doing. Um, and, and that for me is the greatest honor. Lately, I've gone through a transition where those skills of working with couples and my just deep, genuine love of other human beings has really shifted into this business world where I am networking and connecting people all over the place uh, and uh, you know, running two podcasts simultaneously, running several Facebook groups, running, helping uh, create several businesses and helping other coaches create businesses. So my my focus lately has not been so much on couples, but on creating people who are interested in helping other people have incredible relationships. 
Wow, that's fantastic that you're helping so many people. I want to talk about discipline here at Mindful Tribe. Some of us have trouble staying disciplined with the daily practice of mindfulness. And with all you do, you must need to be very regimented in your routines, I'm thinking. How do you apply discipline to your life so you're using mindfulness on a daily basis? Mm, mm. You know, discipline... I think is a really necessary habit to kind of cultivate um, when we're first taking off on any sort of activity where we desire to create some sort of change. Uh, you know, if we're when I was trying to lose a little bit, a little bit of weight from my gut, mm-hmm. uh, it took discipline for me to go to the gym, you know, and I made a promise to myself every single day for a week, I'm going to go to the gym this week. Uh, and sometimes that meant me just begrudgingly going at like 10 o'clock at night because I just, I worked all day long or because I just dreaded it the whole day. Uh, and that took discipline. What eventually happens once we move beyond that space of having to push ourselves forward is that we move into inspired action, uh, which does not take discipline it is now um, a certain kind of call um, like you know the certain force is pulling you forward into your dreams and you're just going into a river uh, where there's just kind of this uh, wonderful flow that's pulling you forward that's the current state that I'm in uh, and mm-hmm. so the word discipline for me sounds sounds challenging um, you know I should probably go to the gym today for example or maybe um, more than anything, I need to maybe take a little bit of time to slow down and close my eyes and breathe mm-hmm. uh, and, and just like let my body, um, you know, feel itself. Uh, but right now, I also, on the other hand, just feel incredibly inspired to do work, which for many people would be considered a disciplined action, which isn't for me at this moment. Um, so if, if you want discipline, my, my best advice for you is find a way to be inspired to do whatever it is you feel that wh- whatever goal you want to accomplish, find a way to really find inspiration around it. Find people who motivate you, put yourself in groups of others. Um, you know, uh, in, in the Bible, it says two people gathered in my name, uh, you know, is more powerful than one essentially is what it says. Right. And, and I take mm-hmm. that to be true in, in, in all senses, of, of our experiences, whenever I can gather myself with more people for a common cause, uh, our energy is increased. Uh, and so I try to put myself around people and in communities, which I sometimes create uh, because I need those communities so much. Uh, create that kind of community for yourself so that then you can be in the river and, uh, you know, discipline kind of becomes less needed because now you've got people who are like, Hey, how's the gym going? I'd love to work out with you. You know, Hey man, you're looking great. Let's go work out together. Or, Hey, you know, how's your business? How's your podcast? You know, mind if I interview you or, you know what I mean? Do you get what I mean? I I do get what you mean. And I really like the picture that you've painted with that. And the way you, you answered that is, is incredible and great advice. My next questions are part of the multi mode round, Luis, just short 30 second answers are perfect. And here's the first one. Who, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Who's one person? Uh, you know, the biggest person that influenced my mindfulness practice has to be my mom. You know, we start with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad. Uh, it sounds like an acceptance speech. <laughs> uh, you know, and then from there, I really move into the, the spiritual teachers that I've had, whether they're living or not living. 
Sure. How has mindfulness affected your emotions or those of your clients? Slowing down and creating some space between my sensations and my reactions or my impulses. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. You know, breathing is responsible for 70% of the toxic release in our bodies. It out it outperforms toxic dump of emotions and actual toxins in our body. It outperforms any other practice or way that our body releases uh, toxins. So Mm -hmm. taking time to deepen your breath and breathe into your stomach uh, and really breathing into where, you know, um, two thirds of our lungs exist produces in our body a sense of calmness. It also triggers the mind and the vagus nerve in the mind that everything is safe, everything is okay. Our breathing is oftentimes responsible for our mental state. And so we can control our mind through our breathing. My Buddhist teacher, the first person that really taught me about Buddhism said, did you know that the Buddha began mindfulness and his journey to enlightenment by focusing on his breath. And he entered uh, samadhi or what's called nibra kolpa samadhi, which is a sense of you're always in a state of bliss or no suffering. He went into that space by focusing on his breathing. So it all begins and ends with the breath. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would it be, Louise? My favorite book on mindfulness because relationships are so important. And somebody one time said to me, you know, I feel wonderfully at peace when, and I can get into these incredible states, but then when I come in contact with others, that's when it gets messed up. So with that said, the book Conscious Loving is one of my favorite books to read on relationships as well as having mindfulness in in me and with, with others. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? There's a little meditation app that I really like, and I'll send you the details so you can link it here in the notes for people. But what's really cool about it is it has the circle, and it has a little timer. It has that circle cut like a pie, and it goes through the pie, and when it reaches a certain point in that pie of the time, then it tells you to breathe in. And then when it reaches the next point, it tells you to breathe out. And when it reaches another point, it tells you to hold your breath in. And a little point about holding your breath in, when we hold our breath in, we're not only just calming the body and Uh and using breath as a system of control, we're also uh, actually oxygenating the body and also um, alkalizing the body because that breath that you're holding in is actually alkalizing to the system. So if you have things like heartburn or a desire for some weight loss, there are studies that show uh, that this can help heartburn as well as actually has shown to uh, help people cut weight. Interesting. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and would like to start using it in their life? Start simple. Start really, really simple. Um, Meditation has become a very convoluted uh, practice, uh, a complicated system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would honestly recommend if you want to practice mindfulness, close your eyes, breathe and see what happens. Right. Good advice. Tell us how Mindful Tribe can contact you and learn more about what you do. 
Yeah, definitely. If you wish to email me, you can contact me at luiscondon at gmail. They can just put a listen to you on Bruce's mindfulness show and I'm going to respond to you personally. Uh, You can also visit my website, lastingloveconnection.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can also visit me at, uh, podcasterssecretweapon.com. So whatever your taste or fortes are, there's various ways to reach out to me. Right. And I just want to take a moment to have you tell our audience about your two different podcasts you're involved with. Mm -hmm. So I have a relationship podcast that brings people on like Marion Williamson, Dr. Gay Hendricks, Don Miguel Ruiz, where we really focus on helping people, find more love for themselves and the people in their lives, uh, really focusing on relation, intimate relationships through that show and parenting. Uh, and then our second show, thrivinglaunch.com, is a business-related show where uh, in a period of 30 minutes, we delve deep into some concept for your business uh, and really specialize in that moment on one particular area so that at the end of 30 minutes you have action steps, you have a clear guide, and something that can impact your business. Terrific. Luis, it's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you. You know, I'm tremendously inspired by what you've done and what you're doing every day to help people. It's it's just great having you on the show, and I just want to say thank you very much for, for being here and being our guest and sharing all your, your stories and your help that you give to people. Bruce, you're a fantastic listener. If you've been listening to the show this far, I'm honored that you've taken the time to hear my story, and I hope that it somehow has impacted you and helped you bring more mindfulness and stillness uh, and love into your life. Thanks, Luis. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, here's the free bonus I mentioned at the top of today's show. I co-authored a best-selling book with Brian Tracy called Cracking the Success Code, and I've decided to give you a digital copy today for free just for listening and being part of Mindful Tribe. This book has chapters by over 20 successful entrepreneurs. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash mmoffer17. And the MM stands for Mindfulness Mode, of course. So once again, it's mindfulnessmode.com forward slash mmoffer17. And once again, thanks for your great support of the podcast Mindfulness Mode. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.